Hello everybody. My name is Jared Dean and I work for Hollywood Trust. Delighted that you can join us for this webinar today. So today is all about Fingerpost and the relaunch of our community magazine. And we are delighted to be relaunching our community magazine, Fingerpost. This has now been run as a project of Hollywell Trust. And Hollywell Trust is a community, for those of you that don't know, is a community development and community relations organization based at the heart of Derry. And one of the things that we look at is innovation and leadership and creating space in particular for local people to have their voices heard. So it was really natural that we revisited the Fingerpost project, which is all about giving a community a voice. Fingerpost was first established in 1986 and ran in various forms until 2006. So it's been sleeping for a wee while, but we are delighted to bring it back and bring it back with the support of the Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland. So between now and the end of March, we're going to be looking at six different themes. We'll have six issues between now and then. Hopefully we'll get a few more after that as well. We're going to look at leadership in this issue, shared society, arts and community relations, uh, women's issue, youth issue, and rights. So over the next few months, every few weeks, we'll release uh, a new issue or a new uh, publication, if you like, an online publication. And we're doing so with the help of some guest editors that we're delighted at, but we'll give you some more information on that near the time. We'll be holding a number of sessions like this webinar as well. Um, we'd prefer face-to-face -face events. The application that we put on had face-to-face -face events on it, but unfortunately, COVID dictated that everything is now online, but that's okay. We'll, we'll manage to get through that. And we're recording this as well. We're recording today's conversation and we're going to release that as a podcast at the start of next week. So from next week on, we're going to start a Fingerpost podcast and it'll be, you can find all the information on that on the Fingerpost website, as well as the new issue, which is at fingerpost.ie, which is now live. It was made live this morning, so you can find it. Don't leave the webinar just yet. They go away and read it, but please stay along. Um, so our first issue is on leadership. Why leadership? Um, it's an issue that Hollywood Trust has been looking at for a number of years since our formation in 1988. We've been looking at it in various different forms from the community leadership programs that we ran back in the early 1990s up until the future leaders program that we're doing at the minute. And we're going to hear more about that as from some of our contributors now. So today we're going to hear from a few contributors, not all the contributors, because we just don't have the space or the time as a podcast to do, to do so. In a minute, I'm going to be joined by Paul Gosling. Then we're going to hear from George O'Kane. And after that, we'll have a brief poetry interlude, followed by a conversation with Fiona Corbin about the Future Leaders Programme. So bear with me while I try and bring Paul Gosling on here now for a wee chat. Paul, are you there? No. Can you hear me all right now? I can hear you now. That's grand. If you just <laughs> want to... better, yeah. How's the form? I, it's fine, but I may have to drop the, the video if the quality dips too much. Right, well, it's be fine at the moment, then we'll head for it. Okay. okay. So my contribution, Gerard, is based around this book. Yeah. Um, which we have put out together. Yeah. And which looks to a large extent about leadership. Aye. I was just looking over it again this morning, Paul. There's 21 of the ideas that you've collated in this book. 21 of the 54 ideas are on leadership. Um, so it's a really significant thing. Um, so I suppose one of my questions would be, on the 21 ideas in the book, which do you think, or are there a few that you think we need to be looking at to implement that might make a positive difference here? Well, clearly, 
it, it's about the opportunities from citizens uh, assemblies that is, I think, really central to the lessons from the book. Uh, political leadership is about the management of change. And we have a deadlock between the political parties about how they see change, what change they want to the extent that they want change. And that means it's very difficult to navigate your way through. And I think that we can see examples both from the South, but also from other places around the world where they've navigated their way through difficult political territory by asking people in ways that are fully engaging. So the citizens assemblies model is the thing which I think is very exciting. There was a lot of support from the people we interviewed around that. Uh, perhaps different visions, but not necessarily competing visions, different things. So in the South, we've seen citizens' assemblies navigate a way through on abortion, on same-sex marriage, indicating that actually there's a consensus where there didn't appear to be a consensus. But equally, the ideas that people gave us included localized citizens' assemblies about whether you could look at impoverished areas where paramilitaries were recruiting uh, young adults into their membership, about ways that actually you can do things within those areas that uh, transform them in ways that give young adults a sense of opportunity and ambition, aspiration that is outside of the paramilitary arena. Mm. Uh, similarly, about whether, and this is something that applies more to Belfast than it does to Derry, but whether you can actually look at the peace walls and see ways that break down the physical barriers by bringing communities together within some type of assembly mechanism. And although that is what applies in Belfast rather than Derry, you can see the idea of a shared housing estate in Derry, which will be located almost at the interface of two communities, as, uh, where two communities, two naturally uh, different communities historically meet, whether there are things that need to be done in those areas to make sure that you don't create differences, uh, difficulties at, at what becomes perhaps a new interface. So, hmm. there, so there, there are lessons there that perhaps Derry can learn from Belfast. Yeah. One of the things about Citizens' Assemblies is you know well as political buy-in because key to the success in the South was the fact that they were mandated by the government and the decisions that they arrived at were then sought through by government. Do you think that we're ready here? Are politicians ready for that political, that level of political buy-in or giving away that power, if you like, to the citizenry and the North? Oh, that's, a, that's a very good question, Gerard. I mean, um, yeah, the, 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 there was it's more than, I think, giving political buy-in. It's actually saying that we want to hear from you. Mm. So it's, it's not just about legitimizing a process. It's saying that we generally want to hear what people believe. It's recognizing that politicians aren't receptacles for all community knowledge, that actually they have limited knowledge of what people feel, and actually the opportunity for people to change their minds, because I think that if you had done a survey where people were in their attitudes at the beginning of investigating the detail, and what they were at the end of that process, then I think you would find that quite a lot of people would change their minds. I mean, from what I understand about the citizens' assemblies in the South, where people looked at same-sex marriage, and where people looked at abortions and I think it's also true in France where they're looking at climate change policy that actually people change their mind during the process so you have to have politicians that are willing 
to change their mind and want to hear from people. Okay. I'll give you space for a drink of water there. Um, it's one of the other things that comes out in the article is that you've written for the pieces or well in the book as well is around mandatory versus voluntary coalition when it gets to the executive. Um, do you think we're at a time where we might arrive at a place where voluntary coalition at a government level might be something that we can achieve? Because surely a voluntary coalition is something that's going to have more weight and value than something that's forced. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly an idea that people are more actively considering than in the past. I mean, until quite recently was something that Jim Allister spoke about, but not many other people did. But clearly, I think COVID has, has increased or brought in new tensions between the political parties. And there was what lots of us would say was an inappropriate use of the veto in terms of continuing or introducing a new lockdown. Um, so I think the, the voluntary coalition idea is receiving a lot more attention, but but clearly it comes with with difficulties, because the the reason why there's a mandatory coalition is to ensure that you have buy-in from both the nationalist community and the unionist community. Now the dynamics of Northern Ireland society are in a process of significant change because we now have a third community that is perhaps almost as large as the two main communities, which is the non-identified, the, the different people, the people came from elsewhere, the people who were born to other communities or people simply that aren't religious. So we don't really recognize within the current system the rights of those people who don't fit into either of the two main traditional groups. So you've got that, but you still have to have a solution to how you safeguard the rights of people that would identify as unionist or Protestant or, and equally people that would identify as Catholic stroke nationalist stroke Republican. So whether you can do that within a voluntary coalition, that is the big question. You probably could, you could probably get together the numbers, but that the implication is that you would either have the Ulster Unionist Party in instead of the Democratic Unionist Party, or perhaps you would have the SDLP in and not Sinn Féin, but you know, it would create new tensions, hmm. but clearly it is something that people are interested in. And after the next assembly election, it's a possibility. And of course, the other thing that has to be said, Jared, is that Northern Ireland will be under greater financial pressure from the Treasury in London. And that will create its own difficulties in terms of how you get a mandatory coalition agreeing to changes in the financial management of Northern Ireland uh, when they disagree on so many things. You know, it's a lot easier to reach a superficial agreement where you're not making financial cuts to services than when you actually are going to have to make significant cuts. Yeah. One of the things in the, in the book in particular is that about creating the awareness of the need to for compromise when it comes to political leadership. And I think part of that conversation is about generosity and generosity of leadership and not having they always won the argument. Do you see our current political leaders in that position yet? Are we there yet? Kind of question. I, I think if, we, if we're going to be generous to politicians in Northern Ireland, this actually is not a Northern Ireland question. It's a global question. And 
we perhaps see things from the perspective of the troubles when actually a lot of these things go beyond the troubles. So that if you look in the United States and if you look at the dialogue, if you can call it dialogue between the European Union and the United Kingdom government, then you see the same type of division and the unwillingness to compromise and the tendency within political discourse to focus on what you want to believe is the truth without necessarily resorting to evidence to support you. And I think that Northern Ireland, perhaps we were there first, but you know, it is part of the same issue. So no, there isn't really that level of trust uh, and that is a serious problem, but we have to make changes. Uh, so, you know, the dynamics are there in a sense that are forcing politicians to come to terms with the fact that we do need to have change. Okay, Paul, thank you very much for that chat. This book is available now from the Hollywell Trust website. It's also on the Kindle store. If anybody wants to go on, just look for Lessons from the Troubles, and, and you'll find it. Paul, thank you very much. I'm going to knock you back to an attendee, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Catch you up, Ethan. Okay. Thanks to Paul there. So next up, I'm going to have a conversation with Georgia. Hi, Jared. Georgia, how are you? Good. So, Georgia, you've agreed, quite foolishly, I believe, to write a number of articles Um for or an article for all of the issues that we have coming out over the next six months and give it that bit of a, a youth perspective or a different perspective than that which we, we might normally hear. So in order to justify yourself, do you want to, <laughs> do you want to give us a wee bit of background on uh, how you've come to want to write these pieces? Yeah, so actually this Tuesday I'm going to be graduating from a master's degree in politics from Queen's and just before that I'd done my undergraduate at Queen's in English and politics. Um, so obviously studying in Northern Ireland, you focus a lot on the politics of Northern Ireland. Um, and also my university career coincided with a lot of major upheaval in the region. So just before I started university, we had the Brexit vote. Then of course the collapse, of, <laughs> the collapse of the assembly. And um, then of course COVID. So uh, in terms of writing a number of articles, I've been spent a number of years raging against the machine from inside a classroom and to my peers. So I thought it was maybe about time to stop complaining and start putting it down and see if I can make some sort of difference or at least have a voice in the situation. Dead on. And the piece that you've written um, for this issue then is called Political Leadership and Oxymoron. Do you want to tell us a wee bit behind it or what drove you to write it? Um, yeah, it was came from a real place of frusta uh, frustration. Um, it's partly because of the personal frustration I was coming out of university in a world which was um, entirely changed than what I thought I would be coming out and at the start of my master's degree or indeed at the start of my undergraduate degree and having a lot of time to sit at home after having lost a job due to COVID and reading a lot of news and many different perspectives you can't really I couldn't anyway reach any possible uh, conclusion other than deep irritation with the politics in Northern Ireland and particularly the the major leaders at the moment. Um, obviously, I acknowledge that that may be naive and it may be reductive, and I'm quite green to the world at 23 years of age, but um, yeah, a place of frustration. Okay. One of the things that you mentioned in your article is that you've seen a lot of leadership qualities displayed by young people through, in particular, the COVID crisis. Um, do you have hope for the future of leadership in this place then? Yeah. Um, as I've mentioned, I've loads of examples there about leadership in Northern Ireland. Leadership in Northern Ireland is abundant. There's lots of it. And my generation is no different. 
my only fear is, and having seen it at university, is the norm, the the same patterns may continue. Um, I perhaps naively thought that my generation might be some sort of shining light, and having spent four years at university and hearing the same arguments from two different sides of the classroom, you just kind of think, oh God, is this it? But no, I do have a great deal of hope, and I have no doubt that the leadership in Northern Ireland will continue in the areas outside of politics, no matter what happens in the political sphere. Yeah. I think that every generation before <laughs> before you and probably after you will think the same. As yeah. You have to start off with that ambition to change the place. So tell us, the next issue that we're going to do is on the shared society. Have you thought about it? What are you leaning towards? Any thoughts yet? Yeah, I think I'm going to try and do um, segregated education. And again, on that kind of uh, thread of my generation, uh, I think we could have been a leading light for desegregated education. I only predate the Good Friday Agreement by six months. So if there had been some upheaval in the education system around that time, who knows what the country or the region would look like at this moment in time. There's plenty of people I went to university with only started to form meaningful relationships with people on the other side of the community at university. Um, and it's just not good enough. How can you expect politicians to interact and compromise and learn how to live together if the first time they're doing it is at 18 or maybe even later? Yeah, that was my experience for sure. And I, I, I know that much. But looking forward to reading that article. Georgia, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. And I'll chat to you when I'm back in the office next week. <laughs> Grand job. Okay. So now we're going to have a wee bit of poetry. One of the contributors to this month's piece or issue is Paul Lachlan. Paul's written four poems on leadership and I'm going to share a video with you here and it's Maeve O'Brien who is reading Paul's poems. Paul wasn't feeling the best so he'd asked if somebody else could read them. Um, so here they are. Enjoy. Poems by Paul Lachlan. Change. The change generations have bled to secure is denied by decisions which contrive to ensure. The poor still wait to see the day when privilege and rank have withered away, while the pieces are moved to no good effect by players who never quite grasp the real game. And things only change so they can stay the same. 1920. From failed statecraft, partition practitioners, craft failed states. A party leader gives evidence. Accountable, but not responsible. Responsible, but not liable. Liable, but not culpable. Culpable, but not contrite. Contrite, but not quite credible. No fit state. In this sclerotic state where things are seldom looking up and never moving on, the crowds begin to gather for the annual parade. The mindset never changes, the speeches stay the same, always passing off as culture things that cover us in shame. Those that can get out and live in their own way, those left behind are in no doubt that misery moulds their every day. Patients wait on trolleys for a doctor to arrive. 
the newly homeless sit in doorways amid the wreckage of their lives. News has yet to reach them of all the progress we have made. There we go. That was Maeve and a huge thanks to Maeve for taking the time to help us out and record those. And thanks to Paul as well for sharing uh, the poems with us. So time for our final guest and it's Fiona Corbin. So your name's been on the screen, Fiona. Do you want to unmute yourself and show us your face? Hi. Fiona, you're the co-facilitator of the Future Leaders Programme and you've written about it for Fingerpost. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a wee, as if I don't know, tell me like uh, I've never heard of it, uh, but can you give us a wee bit of background on what the Future Leaders Programme is? Of course. So um, Future Leaders is a programme that is um, suitable for anybody within the community over the age of 18 who feels that they have community leadership potential. And we take all the participants through a six-month course, um, quite in-depth course of all of the kind of essentials of community development skills. And it's a real chance for them to increase their knowledge, their skills, capacity, but more importantly, their networking. So our hope is at the end of the programme, all 20 participants will leave with a ready-made network, um, renewed kind of focus and, and energy for creating positive difference within their communities. Um, and we look at a range of different issues. Most of it is participant-led. So that's what makes it quite fresh and exciting, I think. Okay. Brilliant. Um, in your article that you've done for Fingerpost, you talk about the qualities of a, a good community leader. How is the programme trying to foster and develop those qualities? Okay, so in the article, um, I've referenced the, the kind of attributes and qualities around um, courage and vision um, and also integrity. And they are key principles that underpin good quality leadership within the community. I think the Future Leaders Programme sort of seeks to nurture those qualities by looking at things independently in a non-political way, um, ensuring that the, the kind of work in leadership is unbiased and represents the interests of everybody within our community. I think also it's fair to say that the participants themselves come from a, a diverse and vibrant range of backgrounds and ages, um, skills and experience. And there's something really lovely about having a cohort that can learn from each other's um, own unique circumstances and backgrounds. So that really underpins it. Um, but in terms of how we approach it, I think that participant-led thing, again, um, is really helpful because the courage and vision comes from the group themselves. And at the end of the programme, uh, the hope anyway is that the participants will co-create four new community projects and lead them up. So that really does require like um, huge amounts of courage vision, integrity, and also, as you, you spoke about earlier on, Jared, the kind of compromise and generosity, because working with other people can quite often be um, challenging. And it's really about um, kind of fostering those relationship skills and qualities, but in a way that the participants have ownership over their own learning experience. Yeah, and I know that the project's been delivered by Zoom, um, and it's been entirely by Zoom. So apart from Zoom fatigue, how's it going? How, how are the people getting on? I, I think I have an idea, but if you want to share with others. Okay, um, well, it's grand. It's obviously not ideal. We would have much preferred face-to-face. -face. I think this type of work really kind of benefits from seeing, you know, other people up close and building those relationships. But it is what it is. We've, we've worked really hard to try and um, make it kind of accessible. 
Um, we've kept the, the sessions quite short and snappy because I think it's fair to say that people can't focus for too long within a Zoom session. There is that kind of, I suppose, like the natural thing of where you gravitate towards others before a session starts or in the tea break, that type of thing is missing. Um, but we're trying our best to build in kind of informal touch points and have plenty of opportunity for group discussion and breakout rooms, um, you know, that, are, that move around quite a lot so that people can build relationships themselves. Um, and then we have like an offline chat as well where we share resources and try and keep in touch with each other. It's working okay, but obviously... The hope is that at some stage before the end of the programme, which uh, will finish to the end of March, there may be an opportunity to bring, you know, bring everyone together if and when it is safe to do so. Okay. And it's part of a, you mentioned on the article as well, it's part of a, a bigger project, the Investing Community Leadership in the West. We have to come up with a better title project. Yeah. Um, I, of course, so um, as part of a wider five-year investment that is part of the great ideas at the National Lottery for Communities Fund. And that is in partnership with the Rural Community Network and the lead partner for Manor Trust. So over the course of the next five years, there'll be a series of targeted opportunities to encourage people of all ages um, and all abilities within their respective communities in the West to come forward and participate in um, I suppose, experiences and opportunities that nurture and enhance leadership skills within the community. Um, and I think the really nice thing is that all of the work kind of complements each other and it is very inclusive. So there's projects that are quite focused on young people. There's things that look at participatory budgeting. I find it really hard to say that word. Um, and there's also uh, like ourselves who are looking at um, the development of future leaders in a more kind of career and like literally taking, like stepping up and taking the lead within the community soon. So there is that real kind of range and over the, the course of the five years that will be developed and refined and there'll be lots more opportunity. There'll also be some opportunity for progression as well. Brilliant, brilliant. Happy days. Great, thank you Fiona. Thank you. No, thanks for letting me contribute today, it was a pleasure. No, and thanks for your article as well. Um, just time to wrap up then. Um, Thank you to all the contributors. Um, and we didn't have time to hear from all the contributors to the issue. So others that featured on the first issue are Gemma Harkin, who's written her poem, The Golden Ark. Fergal Barr, who shared an extract from uh, his blog, and it's called Where Where Are the Leaders? Where, where is the Hope? And Sue Devon, whose short story on trust is also featured. And that's a lovely short story. So thanks to Paul, George and Fiona for letting me have a chat with them um, and to Mae for reading Paul's poems. Thanks also, of course, to our funders, the Community Relations Council, without whom Fingerpost would not be reawakened. Uh, so keep an eye out on all the Fingerpost social medias as well as Hollywell Trust. You can find it on Twitter at Fingerpost underscore IE um, and then Fingerpost.ie on Facebook and that's the web address as well. Thank you for coming along. Um, really appreciate it and look forward to hearing feedback from you and maybe articles from future contributors. All right, chat is awesome. Bye.